0: We're going to turn to the Word of God and uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we'll begin our reading at chapter 3 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. And we've been reminded there of um, these uh, amazing narratives, stories associated with the coming of our Lord. And the wonderful thing as a believer, that each believer has their own personal story, of how the Lord has visited their hearts, changed their lives, brought them into the joy and the wonder of salvation. And uh, the passage we're going to look at and we're going to just read now is all about the wonder of being a child of God. And uh, that is what a Christian is. They've come to step into the family of God where God becomes their father. And uh, that relationship is something that involves such intimacy by way of our relationship with God, involves a great security, uh, that uh, we are living in the context of God's fatherly care. Uh, and also a sense of liberty, that uh, we live a life um, not dominated by the opinions of others, which was the problem with the Galatian church, uh, but rather in pleasing a God who knows, loves, understands us through and through and that's so liberating and also the sense of dignity that we are God's children and glory of course that is to come and so Paul will touch on these themes uh, throughout his Galatian letter so we come to verse 26 of chapter 3 you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir He is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Amen. May God richly bless his word to our hearts this morning. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Galatians and uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, and uh, those well-known verses, verse 4, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And those are the words really I want to be focusing on uh, this morning. I'm sure we all have our favourite carols, and there are the well known ones. Uh, for myself, my favourite carol is "Hark! The Herald Angels Sing" by Charles Wesley, and particularly those words: um, "Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth." And that just encapsulates the the intention, the reason, the plan, the purpose of God in Jesus coming into the world. It was that we might become the children of God. And that is what makes the New Testament new. It erupts through the pages of the New Testament that we could actually become children of God. And John in his gospel, in what is known as the prologue, doesn't begin with our Lord's ministry like another gospel or our Lord's archaeology, but, but, um, he begins with, um, he begins with eternity and God, here is one, the word who was with God and was God and, and how he comes from eternity into time and, and, uh, through that prologue we get to the end and the issue at the last, He came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. And uh, that's at the crux of John's gospel. Uh, That's where John is leading with the advent and Christ coming into the world. Um, How receptive are men and women that to this Christ that has come. Uh, have they actually received him in the way that God intended? That in and through him and all that he has done, we might enter into the family of God and know God as our Father. And that is something Jesus returned to again and again, the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say, our Father, which art in in heaven. And then in terms of the Sermon on the Mount and anxieties and cares Your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. And you will see this emerging again and again as a a truth Jesus presents. The prodigal son returning uh, to his father and being received back uh, on the basis of sonship. That he is a son no matter all that has gone before. He has returned and is received as a son not a slave or a servant. And so this is something all important. And here in Galatians, we have these Judaizers who have arrived on the scene, and they have brought with them certain rules, regulations. Uh, they are browbeating believers in their simple trusting in Christ. And they are insisting on these so many additions by way of uh, their conducting of their lives and their behavior. And Paul can see all of this becoming oppressive and burdensome and taking away from the true liberty that belongs to a child of God. And so what Paul does here, he sets before them what it is to be a child of God and the difference that has made. Uh, what a difference in being a child of God. Now, what we have here in this passage the steps that God undertook to make us his children, uh, momentous steps, gigantic steps, that God undertook himself, that we would actually become his children and incorporated into his family and find our place in heaven. And so we read of children and heirs. This is so fundamental in terms of heaven and glory, uh it's all rests on being a child of God. It's like when uh we worshiped in I uh, ministered in West Cross and we lived in a little close and all the children would be out playing in the day in these long summer evenings but when when darkness came it was my own children I called home. Only my own children they came home because my home was their home. It's uh where they belonged. And they came to shelter for the night in my home. They were my children. Heaven is like that. There need to be a child of God in order to know that heaven then is our home. So what are these great steps uh, taken on the part of God? Well, to begin with, of course, uh, there is what we celebrate at this time of year, the incarnation, where we read of one uh, who was the Son of God sent forth, born of a woman, son of God, born of a woman, when the time had fully come. Now, of course, we know in the narratives, we read this time of year, that with the Roman census, everything just fell, and that um, Mary would give birth in Bethlehem, as foretold in God's word. There is a timing here in all of these things, in all of these events. And some would go as far as to say the Greek language and the Roman peace and uh, transportation. All of these led to uh, uh, the gospel spreading to the far-flung corners of the Roman world. So speedily, breathtakingly, the gospel went out. God is overruling in all of these events. There is a time. And uh, he who is the son of God, uh, yet is born of a woman. So on the one hand, here we have the Son, co-eternal, co-equal, with God the Father and God the Spirit. He is fully, gloriously God, never, ever ceasing to be God. He is God. That's who He is. And yet here is the mystery of godliness that we read of in Timothy Uh, great is the mystery of God God manifest in the flesh he is not only fully God he will become truly man he will know a a soul, he will know a body, he will know all that we are susceptible to by way of of pain and suffering and anguish and heartache, he could say reproach has broken my heart, He, he knew all of that, he knew all of the Varied, rich emotions that we know in being human. He knew them all. Knew what it was to be weary and tired. So exhausted and spent. He could sleep in a boat in a storm. With all its pitching and heaving and the howling of the wind. And the lashing of the rain. These things don't wake him. He is so exhausted. Knew what it was to stumble carrying his cross. That somebody else had to come and help him. Knew the limitations of humanity and, and human flesh. He knew all of these things. is really touched with the feelings of our infirmities? So he is God, and yet he is also truly man. But now here is the incredible thing in all of this: he is the same person. He is the same person, not two personalities. He is the one person. And that that song has it right. Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall. It is the Lord. The King of glory. It is the Lord. A wondrous story. It is him. And that is why throughout his ministry. He is so personal. And impresses his personality. Upon his, his, his disciples. We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. This is my body. My body. Body in which I walked and moved and grew. And tired and wept. And worked. And suffered. And bled and died. This is my body. That is broken for you. This is the new covenant. Covenant. Covenant of which God is the author. God the father. He the son the testator. Sealing ratifying all with his own blood. And the Holy Spirit being the executor. Who will bring all into effect in the hearts of his people. To be known and enjoyed richly. This is the new covenant. In my blood. My blood. He's the same person. How incredible a thing that is. The mystery of godliness. But why is all of this so important and why is all of this necessary that he should be fully, gloriously God and yet truly man? Anselm put it this way. Back through the centuries. Archbishop of Canterbury. Our debt, by way of God's law And having broken God's law. And all of the law's demands upon us. Our debt was so great. That while none but man owed it. None but God could pay it. None but God. Infinite. We have sinned against an infinite all glorious God. Our fancies are great. We've broken the law of God. And that's why there is reference here to him being born of a woman and born under the law. Our Lord came to do something in regard to the law of God. He said, I've come to fulfill all righteousness. So he came in our place, representing us, working out in and through the complexity of his life and the onslaughts of the evil one. That pure and adulterated, unspotted heart of devotion to God and His law in all things he came and He laid it down on the cross in our place. There's a lovely little book by Orisha Sbonar, and uh, in terms of God's law and God's love and grace and How can God ever lovingly pardon sinners without justly punishing sin? And how can that ever be achieved? And the answer, of course, is in Christ. But the one who is lying there in a crib in Bethlehem will hang on a cross outside Jerusalem. Born to die. We sang of that in one of our carols. Born to die. But Horatius Bonner puts it this way. Law and love. The one cannot give way to the other. There is no room for compromise on either part. Each has to keep its ground. Each has to emerge honored and glorified. God's inflexible justice and law and God's matchless grace. Pure love and law that is in and through Christ have their full scope. Not one jot has been surrendered by either. And it refers to all that God has done in Christ. God has done it all and done it effectively, completely, gloriously. So much so that the law... That would condemn the sinner, now oh, readily, gladly, clears the sinner, because Christ has answered for us in terms of the law. And in Romans, the early chapters where Paul is establishing, there isn't one of us right before God. there is none righteous, no, not one. But then what happens? But now, the righteousness of God, not our doing, of his doing, without the law, without our adhering to the law, apart from our attempting to obey the law, yet attested to by the law and the prophets, a righteousness that is unto all and upon all them that Believe there is no difference it's now wonderful that there is the righteousness of Christ that clothes the believer that we are sheltering in his righteousness of late, just say this, of late I've been on Facebook a bit I've come very late to Facebook but uh, I've been able to put art on there and works of art and talk through it and also bring the gospel in, and I was thinking of next week and what I might bring on, and a, an incident came to my mind that happened uh, many years when I, years ago when I was ministering in Morriston, and uh, we had an elderly lady, a large lady, colorful character, uh, by the name of Edna, and she um, used to take snuff. Now, most collies underground would carry a little tin of snuff, uh, inexpensive, clear the head, and pinch of snuff and but you gotta be careful Only you pinch your snuff. You can blow your head off. And uh but Edna, she'd have the largest tin of edges snuff I've ever seen, the silver tin. And she roll up her arm and she'd and, and she would take her off her arm, you know, and um she was a character and a half. And she said to me, coming up to Christmas, Andrew, I've got something for you for Christmas you wait. So the day came and out came this bag and um, she's looking up at me and wanting to see the expression on my face and I opened the bag and she'd been knitting me a jumper. But the problem was, well a lot of problems really but one problem was it came in pieces. Here was the front, here was the back and here was an arm, here was another. It hadn't been put together. And then she had dropped stitches here and there and then you could see the snuff stains here and there. So I took it to my mother, who um, was all about appearance, my mother. And I said, Mam, do me a favor. Can you put that jumper together for me? No son of mine will ever be seen out wearing that. Just put it together, and I'll wear it when I'm oil painting and painting. And it's just what I want. It's what I need. And in fact, I had that for years, that jumper, and painted in it. And uh, the one that's replaced it now, good enough to say, the other week, it needs to go in the bin. But there we go. But the point is this. It wasn't complete. It wasn't finished. There were still things that had to be done. And it was far from perfect. But you know it's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus, thy blood. And righteousness. My beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head Bold I will stand on that great day Who ought to my charge shall lay while through thy blood absolved I am cleared guilt and sin and shame is not wonderful? The answer here is the first great mighty step in making us children. We need to be acquitted. We need to be cleared. All offense is taken away. But we see also not just the incarnation. Secondly, what we see here is redemption. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. And what a, what a lovely term that is, redeemed and redemption. It has the idea, and underlying idea of being delivered. And we know elsewhere you will call his name Jesus. He will save, he'll deliver his people from their sins. Condemnation, guilt and judgment of sin. All the ramifications of sin will be eradicated, taken away in and through Jesus. Now once at the end of the age he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Of himself. But redemption isn't just about deliverance. It's about being delivered by way of cost. By way of ransom. And we have these lovely insights in the Old Testament, don't we? Oh, there are many passages we could refer to. Let me just sample one. Isaiah 43 verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. You are mine. See, there's redemption. God delivering in order to make us his own. That we belong to him. That's wonderful. Favorite confession of faith of mine is the old Heidelberg confession. Put together by a pastor and a theologian. Became the mainstay of the Dutch Reformed Church through centuries. But that first question, what is your chief comfort in life and in death? My chief comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior who has fully answered for all my sin and so delivered me from the power of the devil that without the will of my Father not a hair can fall from my head. Belonging. Redemption has that idea. It's beautifully prefigured for us in the book of Ruth. This Moabitus returns. No self-respecting Israelite would have anything to do with a Moabitus. Moab has its origins in the darkest deed of Old Testament history. Moab was off limits to the children of God. And here she arrives, Ruth the Moabitess. But there is a kinsman by the name of Boaz. He appears on the scene. Can you imagine him tall, impressive, handsome, principled, man of influence, standing in the community, resourceful, astute. He arrives. And he will change everything. It's an incredible love story. Where in order to reclaim her, make her his own, there were legal matters that had to be attended to outside the gate. She had to leave them with him. Matters beyond her. But they were in his hands. And he goes out to settle the legal matters That she might be rightfully his. And we have a glorious kinsman redeemer. Went out the city wall, attended to legal matters, that we might be rightly, lovingly his. Redemption. How wonderful, how glorious. We read so much today, don't we, about self-esteem and a healthy self-image, one's sense of worth. But you know, for the child of God, we will always feel unworthy. And the older you get, the older I get, the more unworthy you feel. I am not worthy, Lord, of the least of your mercies. In heaven, in glory, you will feel even more unworthy. But here's the thing. There's a world of difference between feeling unworthy and being worthless. As a child of God, you're not worthless. We have been redeemed, not by corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. Now glorious. The lengths to which God has gone to make you his own. But then thirdly, we see lastly, third great step in this. There's been the incarnation, there's been the great work of redemption, but also there is that of adoption, thirdly. Because we read here that we might receive in the NIV the full right of sons. One can understand why the NIV is taking that line. In other translations, you'll have adoption. The Roman practice of adoption was that somebody of standing and wealth and means would select someone and on that person they would confer lands and estates titles and privileges riches and wealth all of these would be conferred on someone And the whole idea here is of what God wants to confer on us, share with us, make over to us in Christ as his children, that God becomes our father and we are his children. Let me just say this, and if nothing else, you really, really need to take this to heart this morning, go home with this, if nothing else you will never, ever be more a child of God than you are now. Never more. No matter how much you study the Bible, how much you witness, how much you amend your life and and construct a life to please God, it will not make you one whit more a child of God than you are now. Also, even in glory worlds that end, you will never be more a child of God than you are now. How did John put it? From what realm has come this love that God has lavished upon us that we should be children of God. And that is what you are. That is what you are in the NIV. You are children of God. Of God and so there isn't anything can happen in your life that will make you less a child of God and if you've got children I've got my own and whatever mistakes they make or messed up their lives might be you don't love them less you are there for them more and if that in a father's heart is a very Pale glimmer of what burns brightly, infinitely in the heart of our Father in heaven. They're wonderful. You are a child of God. And what does that mean? Well, being a child of God, that means that um, there's an intimacy that we have with God. Charles Hodge, I benefited greatly from his theological works through my ministry. But I thought so much, much more of him when I read that story of his getting out a screwdriver and lowering the handle on his steady door so the smallest child in the house could always get to him, always accessible might be this great professor of theology, but at heart he is a father. And the smallest child running around the house has immediate access to him. And I can just see him writing these great theological treaties, nursing a child on his knee. That's the God we have. We have intimacy. Where we can share anything and everything with Him. But not just an intimacy, there's a a liberty that is ours. Some of us here might have had parents that have been absolutely impossible to please. And, you know, come across those sort of parents. Never enough. But our Heavenly Father knows, understands, loves. What freedom there is to pleasing him who knows our hearts. And it's liberating when it doesn't matter what people think or how they might look down upon us. What matters is what my Heavenly Father thinks. That's liberating. And there's also a, a dignity that is ours, isn't there? One of the first biographies I read when I was saved was Billy Bray. Remember the Cornish miner? of you know, The times of Downton Abbey and all that and Billy Bray and stately homes. You had to know your place. And there were doors for the likes of you and I. It was around the back. I'm the son of a king. I go through front doors. Dignity of being a child of God. Glorious, that is. And then the security, isn't it? In heavenly love abiding. No change my heart shall fear. Safe is such confiding. Nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me. My heart may low be laid, but God is round about me. And can I be dismayed? Do you know what it is this morning to have God as your father? To know that you are a child of God. What image is this time of year of warmth and love, togetherness, Do you know what it is to be together with God as your Heavenly Father, and that you are a part of this incredible family of grace? Oh Lord our God, our Heavenly Father, we ever praise you for your mighty condescension, for the steps you have undertaken, that we might be yours. Oh, Lord, we think of our Lord in the wilderness, being sorely tried and tempted by the evil one. If you are the Son of God, then why are you here? Why this? Lord, that can happen. We know it in our experience. If you were a child of God, then why has all this happened? But, oh, Father, we praise you. In and through it all, you are working out your perfect plan to bless and do us good. Lord, grant us a childlike heart to ever trust in you and lovingly live to please you. Hear us now for Jesus' sake. Amen.